Okay, you should have a link in the uh, the Slack Force robot. What's what's your what's your answer? G. <laughs> okay. I knew whichever one I picked wasn't going to be the right one. Uh, the correct answer is E. And we're going to move right along. If anybody wants to know whatever the hell that was, they can look at the first item in the show notes. Um, and if you're driving, pull over, and then get upset, and then keep driving. Do you know what I picked up to find out? Uh, An Apple Pencil? Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is yep. your iPad within reach? Are you are you secretly multi-pad lifestyling me right now? I'm re- I'm recording on the iPad right now, yeah. <laughs> and there's a cat in your lap? <laughs> well, no, no no cat in the lap. <laughs> is it bigger Brand- than a red box? All right. <laughs> Branson would not be a fan of that. Apple Pencils? Damn right. He's a smart dog. <laughs> um, yeah, people can check this out. But yeah, uh, a, a is, I don't even know what A is. Well, a is like you're trying to, to stab the paper. I don't even know what's going on. I have a, so I have many questions about A and B. Yeah, B, I, B looks like somebody's doing um, like a, like a, a, is it a carbon pencil or like a grease pencil? It's, that looks like more of an artistic thing. Moving on, this was not meant to be a thing because I'm tired of uh, starting the show uh, using stolen tweets. So people can go look at the show notes. All right, so we've we've been neglecting a lot of stuff. So I think this is going to be kind of a down-to-business episode because we have a whole lot of stuff that we have not addressed in like the past month. So let's jump right into follow-up. Is that good? Let's do it. Okay, so this went, this made the rounds on Twitter um, last week. Uh, I think this was part of the bloomberg uh yeah the bloomberg 50 the people who defined an unprecedented year and i think uh fieri is uh like number 21 or something should be higher uh, definitely um and there's a interview i linked to and i and i and i understand if you didn't watch it because it's like 20 minutes long and it was it was an addendum to this item but um apparently there's a thing let me scroll back in slack uh it's some type of web show in australia maybe uh what is this no it's maybe it's not australia but it's called hot ones and i think it's about hot sauce and hot wings but i don't know any anyway i watched the whole thing because somebody had linked to this in like a reply to somebody who had posted this bloomberg thing and like vietti comes off really likable mm-hmm. like in very Here's the thing that 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 kind of bums me out because I've like I I mean I I've, I've talked about it on the show that I've kind of given him shit or not really I mean I don't know like he he's always kind of been like a punchline not necessarily like nobody nobody really thinks of I don't know how how would you phrase it because I don't want to be uncharitable but he's kind of not been taken seriously like he's been more like of a character and he's been defined by his like frosted tips appearance before anything else he does he's like he's like kind of that that friend i think everybody has in school or maybe not even a friend but just like someone they know of in school that comes across as being like this total goofball but Mm -hmm. is actually super smart and thoughtful yeah yeah it I think that's a good analogy, or but also I just think that it's mostly that he knows he's playing a character a little yes. bit, and he. But it is it's, not it's, that he's. It's co- like a, a Colbert-ish kind of thing. 
a little not, bit. It's not, not that extreme. Yeah, but. but it's not that like he's in on the joke and that he's just like pretending to be like uh, because here's uh, here's a bad example or a bad analogy. But do you know Larry the Cable Guy? It's kind of yeah. But like he's apparently like just super wealthy and like went to great schools and all this other stuff. But he's just basically like he found uh, like a, a product market fit and he's just like fucking riding that to the sunset. And that's not what I'm saying Fieri is, but he, I don't know, he, he's he got his thing and he makes stuff that people like. I mean, I I, I gave Guy's Grocery Games a shot. I don't dislike it, I, but I, I, I don't think I would watch it. I mean, kind of the whole like him making like the same dumb jokes every time, he, like he's doing like a, a, a fake out countdown from where the game starts. Like, I mean, <laughs> I watched like one and a half episodes and that got old after like 40 minutes of TV. So... Anyway, the whole point of this is that, I mean, like, he's, most people probably don't give him credit for what he does, but, like, apparently he's a super chill guy, and he's been doing tons of stuff to raise money for out-of-work um, restaurant and hospitality industry employees uh, and during the pandemic, and he's done more for them directly than most elected officials, and somebody, I forget what, I think I put it in Slack, but somebody had a tweet of, like, uh flavor town has a more functioning government than the united states and i'm like that's 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 pretty good um <laughs> uh, but yeah so he uh he raised how much 21 and a half million dollars that's a lot of money mm-hmm. like that 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 buys a couple of a couple of uh, airpod maxes or whatever but i mean <laughs> yeah it's a teaser in the industry but anyway like he's he's super cool um and i like that He's like in that Hot Ones interview, like he's just like he's talking about like how he like is kind of friends with Steph Curry and like they and, and I did not know that he liked the Warriors and you I even posted a picture in Slack of him in his uh blue and gold and it's just seems like a very chill dude and that he understands the industry and he understands his place in it and he understands how to have fun, make money and do good and there's a lot of people who think they're doing all three of those things but are not and I'm I'm very impressed that he is succeeding at it. But anyway, so go, people should go watch that interview. It's it's legitimately fun, and yeah, seems like a cool dude. The thing that's worth calling out here about him too, which I think we mentioned earlier on in the pandemic when we we also gave him some some props for the charitable work he was doing, is this isn't anything new. Oh, this sure. wasn't like you know March of this year. He all of a sudden. You know, it was like, oh, I should I should focus more on giving back to the the industry um, and those, you know, impacted by world events. You know, he locally here in the Bay Area has been um, heavily involved in fire relief efforts, including, you know, cooking meals for first responders over the last handful of years. And even taking it further back than that, you think about you know, his, his primary show on Food Network, Divers, Drive-Ins and Dives, you know, Triple D, which I know you're, you're a big fan of. In the interview, he referred to Trip D a lot and did not yeah. say the entire name. <laughs> it was always Trip D. And, uh, and I mean, that, that, sh- <laughs> that show's been on, gosh, I, I think for over a decade now. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, the whole premise of that show is highlighting small restaurants in towns, you know, all across America that you would otherwise never hear about and and promoting them and and showing them what great great places they are to eat. So this is like this has been his thing for a long long time and he's you know, he's used that platform he had already built to kind of 
um, accelerate the way that he could help during a, a time of particular need. I forgot what his answer was, but there was a thing on that interview where he was like, they asked like, how do you like get somebody who's um, like not a TV person just to open up and like be like on the spot about the restaurant? And he just, he had a really good answer to it. Like, I mean, again, he's, he's, ugh, he's pretty cool, but there has been something. Oh, why can't I find it? Um, uh, that's, that's uh, both golden retriever related and Guy Fieri related. Ooh, that's that's a crossover that I'm very interested in. So I'm in Apple Photos, and wh- I'm looking for screenshots because I screenshotted this, but it's not sorting them chronologically, and I don't understand why the hell it would do that. That's really frustrating. Apple Photos has a lot of trouble with doing things. Putting f- <laughs> yes, but specifically putting photos in chronological order. That seems like something that most other applications have mastered at this point, but but photos sometimes has an issue do you remember the thing where photos or where uh, ios for like a long time like you know when like share extensions were first a thing and just for like mm-hmm. eight months it just would not remember if you ever reordered them so like i always kept trying to move <laughs> slack to the front and it would just be like nah I'm, I'm good well and photos does this thing where if you import photos that were taken from a while ago they'll start by being your most recent photos but then like during some overnight job or something that the iPhone does, it'll go through and like resort them because, you know, evidently that's, that's too difficult of a task to like do in real time. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's strange. Yeah. So I will rudely interrupt in the podcast when I find this, cause I'm going to keep scrolling cause it's so good because it actually involves Marin County as well. So it's, it's kind of a trip D trifecta. Um, anyway, when it comes to me, I will, I will interrupt. Uh, but yeah, anyway, cool dude. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so what else do we have in follow-up? Oh, yeah, so uh, give me some updates on home audio. So I've got a couple, but you also just received your Sonos Move, which was maybe a third of your um, your upgrades that you discussed uh, last week. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of the... Um, what, what, is, um, what is John Syracuse's thing? Preparing the way? Yeah, a little bit. So that th- this is kind of what the move is. It's it's preparing the way for the the bigger part of this home audio effort, which is going to involve setting up the arc and you know the whole home theater setup in the family room. I don't yet have the arc or the sub. I, they they have not even shipped. So you know I'll let you know sometime, probably like in early twenty twenty two when I get those how they are. Um. But you know though, yeah, the move came uh, last week, so it it has now officially replaced the Sonos One that was here in the office with me. Um, I haven't used it a ton, but I guess I can give some sort of initial impressions. Um, even before you turn it on and set it up, I mean, the the thing that I was struck by was it's it's much bigger and heavier than I imagined it being. Um, I don't think Sonos leans super into the idea that, hey, this is some ultra-portable speaker, but, you know, the name is the Sonos Move, and it is their first speaker that can be kind of taken around. And I don't know, this is not the type of device that you'd <laughs> you'd want to have, like, every day in your backpack or something, because it's it's pretty big and hefty. 
it's definitely a move around the house and from room to room, not a you throw it in your um, beach like tote and you you take it with you type thing. Right. Although it does have a, a cute little um, sock that it comes with for for when you. I don't think you're supposed to keep those. Or actually, I threw those away. Oh yeah, I, I've I've had mine for now. We'll see if I keep it. <laughs> um, but um, you know, I guess the initial impressions about the speaker itself, you know like all the other sono stuff incredibly easy to set up you know really easy to hook the amazon ecosystem into um i think it i think it sounds a little bit better than the sonos one i think it i think this sounds a little bit more full i guess for lack of a better phrase i don't think it's dramatically better but i think it is a little bit better the difference is that apparently there is a tweeter and a woofer in it, and the difference is that uh, in the move, there's more space for it to be a downward firing one, which is similar to what the HomePod does. So the sound is very similar between the two, but that's where I think you're right, where most people say that it does sound fuller because of yeah. that, and it's maybe more room filling, sort of. And I, you know, I don't know. Um how much of a difference this makes but all the sonos speakers have the what do they call it like tr true play or true tone yeah, or something I, I turn that off but it's a thing where if it's one of the ones that could be a voice assistant it you will use the microphones to kind of try to sense the room and adapt the audio for that purpose yeah but i think the the sonos move kind of takes it to the next level where it's sort of always trying to make adjustments to that and i guess it has some type of motion sensor in it where it can detect if it's been picked up and moved hmm. to a different location and it will kind of redo its its configuration whereas i think with the sonos one you you go through that setup process initially but then i think if you ever want it to sort of like update it, that's like a manual thing you you have to do again i to me, that's a quintessential kind of marketing sort of feature, but um, but anyway, seems like it's it, uh, also like a lot of the Sonos stuff. A lot of it just seems very well thought out. Obviously, fantastic that it charges via USB C. Love that. Does it? Yeah, there's a USB C port on the back. Interesting. I did not know. That. I mean, they, they, they don't. I mean, it would it'd be crazy for them to have to expect you to take the charging base with you if you did end up like traveling somewhere with it and needed to charge it yeah maybe um, um and the and the the base is is really really nice it's it's super sleek and it's it's easy it's it's got a good amount of weight so it doesn't slide around on your desk and the move just plops right down into it yeah i, w I would say overall like again it's it sounds fine um i've found that it it works much better in in concert with other speakers um, because you just don't get very much, um, like stereo separation just because I mean, obviously it's a mono speaker. So, I mean, there is no such thing, but yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. Um, but I mean, I think it kind of works like your, your situation is that you just might want to take it from room to room or in the backyard sometimes. So it's not, it doesn't necessarily need to be that super powerful speaker. And for me, it's kind of the same thing where it will generally almost always be in used in conjunction with the the sound bar or like the speaker at my desk. So it's, it's yeah, it's my, mine is, you know, mine is the speaker here in the office, which 
of all the speakers in the house probably gets used the least. I just don't have a lot of music playing in here usually. Um, but it it's, you know, it's an Amazon enabled device, which I wish I want in here. It's a device that I can bring in the in the backyard, which is great. And, you know, occasionally if we go on a, a weekend trip or something somewhere, I could see, you know, bringing this. Um, one thing that I'm actually really excited to try in the backyard, which will probably be more of like a, a spring or a, a summertime thing. But, um, you know, once I get the beam moved to the living room TV... One of the really neat features with Sonos is when you have a Sonos soundbar connected to a TV, you can actually have that audio play in any Sonos speaker oh, on, so you your, like on your system. A game on the like kitchen-ish TV, but also just be, be hearing um, Joe Buck making bad calls and hating on <laughs> West Coast sports uh, in it, the backyard. There you go. Ex- exactly. And, you know, the the TV mount that the living room TV's on is one of those that you can kind of pull out from the wall and, and swivel. Mm. So you can you can see the screen from the backyard. Um, but, I mean, it's it, not something we do a ton, but, you know, occasionally, like, on a warm summer evening or something, it's kind of fun to sit outside and, and watch TV. But, you know... In the, when we've done that in the past, you, we basically have done that with like no audio. Um, but now, with when once I have the beam connected to that TV, I can I can have that reroute the audio to the move, which we can bring out in the backyard and and do it that way. So, yeah, definitely, it, the move is not a like must have product. I don't think, but it it fills a lot of little nice niche cases for me and was you know an excuse to take this sonos one that was previously in here and and set up a ridiculous <laughs> surround sound system mm-hmm. in the family room well and now you don't need a home security system yeah i, did, I didn't understand that that comment oh it, it was just so thing. like it's it's a it's a thing with a handle it's like a sock full of nickels like it, it's, it's something that you could use <laughs> to fend off a home intruder if you had to yeah, but it's so heavy. I'd worry about my ability to. <laughs> you think light. you'd hit yourself with the Sony? <laughs> I would probably do something stupid like that. Yeah. Oh dear. Okay, uh, a real time interruption. <laughs> so here we go. Oh, did you find the thing? I did. So there's a there's a golden retriever that's kind of a, like a, a like a friend of the Marin County like uh, fire department. Uh, she's she's a good follow on on Instagram. It's called it's her name's Kareth, the Golden Retriever, and you'll just see her kind of uh, just roaming all around Central Marin and just letting fire crews pet her, and it's it's a good deal. But apparently, uh, yeah, uh, during the summer, like West Marin fires, apparently Guy Fieri was in town wearing a Flavor Town shirt with his iconic sunglasses and his frosted tips, and um, yeah, Kareth is right there with him. So Golden Retrievers, Marin County, and Guy Fieri. So. I I love this. This this will be in the show notes. And in the and the dog looks so happy. She doesn't know why this guy was dressed so ridiculously. <laughs> and kind of I don't know what the tactical thing he's wearing is. I like I don't know why he looks like he's wearing like a like uh, like a what, what what do you call the thing the person who comes to defuse a bomb? Like he looks <laughs> right. like he works for the bomb squad. Uh, it's kind of cool though. Like he's got a couple of pens. It looks like he's got a Carabiner clip clipped up. I don't know what. And I assume maybe in the middle because that that little compartment's so big. Maybe he's got like a a, a prototype twelve Pro Max because it's that's how big that ridiculous phone is. 
<laughs> Maybe. All right. But he's classy, so he's got a, a big old uh, a fancy watch on. Anyway, Kareth is a good dog. Okay, a few things. So uh, do you have anything else on home audio or do you want to jump in? I I thought you had some stuff, didn't you? So I do. So one, uh, in general, I will will recommend people, uh, multi-room audio is, is, this is the best quality of life improvement I've done in, in like multiple years. It is so nice to wake up in the morning, turn on the daily, go to the kitchen to make an espresso and then go sit at my iMac and not have to either carry my phone with me and listen to Mikey B on a tiny phone speaker or carry a Bluetooth speaker around with me, or like you had suggested, like pop in my AirPods first thing in the morning, which is very uncivilized. I don't know. It's it's just so dang convenient. I'm very pleased with how it, how it works out. Still, in general, the sound quality of the Sono stuff, I would say is pretty mediocre, but it's 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 good enough and i the one plus i will give to the sono stuff is that it is uh, aesthetically pleasing like it's not it doesn't look like something that's supposed to be like not in your house like do you know what i mean i don't know how to yeah. phrase it better like it looks like it's something that's meant mm-hmm. to be placed and not call attention to it so i i very much enjoy that i i briefly mentioned this last week and actually just had a specific example of of why it's so great come up over the weekend and what i had mentioned last week was that i really like how there's different ways to interact with the system mm-hmm. like specifically you can you can do airplay mm-hmm. or you can start music directly from within the sonos app itself and just stream that music directly to the speakers kind of independent of your phone so that part i don't understand like uh, because that was the one thing where i i we kind of got scooped we didn't get scooped but but when i started listening to atp and i was like what is 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 marco stealing my bit like because he he was doing like a homepod mini review and then started talking about sonos all a bunch have you listened to this week's atp uh yeah i have where like i mean he apparently is like he's like i hate everything sonos except the arc or something and I'm like, I don't understand why, but like, it's because the reason why I maybe I maybe think my experience has been really positive with it is that I don't use any of the apparently fairly buggy voice assistant stuff, and I don't use the Sonos app for anything other than like the initial setup. So I guess maybe because I'm only using it for AirPlay, I don't understand what the app does. Like, I don't ever use any of the tabs that like control music playback and like i don't understand like how or why you would like put integrate pandora directly into the sonos app so i guess like what is that for well so a couple of things to unpack there um when i was listening to atp and marco's discussion about sonos the i didn't really understand the critique around the the buggy amazon integration i mean it's it's been a long time since I've used a standalone Echo device, so I, I don't know if maybe I'm like missing out on something and I'm just not aware of it, but I mean, the Amazon stuff seems to work flawlessly for me with all my Sonos speakers. Like, I don't, I don't really ever have an issue with that. And they interface with the, you know, Amazon keyword app without mm-hmm. you know in the same way that an echo device does like i 
I don't, I didn't really know what Marco was talking. I mean, it's very, very common Marco to critique something and not really get very specific about what exactly he's critiquing. But, but does, he does speak in very authoritative, definitive he, answers. Oh, like he does, <laughs> but, but without many specifics. Exactly. Um, but, Thank but you. anyway, so I, my, my experience with the Amazon voice assistant with Sonos is, is been perfectly fine. Um, but then with the Sonos app, so the specific thing that came up this weekend was, you know, we, we had music going on a couple of the Sonos speakers and I was going to head out to, uh, pick up dinner. We were doing takeout from a local pizza place. And, you know, had I been streaming that music from my phone via AirPlay, it, I would have had to shuffle that around or just stop the music or whatever. But because I had started it through the Sonos app, that music just continued to play you know, even though I had left the house. So can you, so if the special lady friend also like, because can you have household accounts? Cause I think for Sonos, it makes you register with your email address. So can multiple people in the same household have access to the app to do like, like party playback or I don't know what you'd call it. I, I, you know, I haven't explored that. Um, I also just recently learned that you can evidently add Sonos speakers to HomeKit and access them through the Home app. But what would be the, what functionally, how would that be better? Well, I think there you, you have the ability to have multiple users access the same home data. So I, you might be able to do something there. I, I don't really know. I haven't played around with that. Um, but the part that's really cool about the different ways you can interface with Sonos is that you can also kind of like mix and match. So for example, you can start music via AirPlay from your phone, and then you can tell the Amazon voice assistant to stop the music. And it doesn't care that, you know, you started the music via AirPlay. It'll it'll control the music just as if you had asked the Amazon voice assistant to start it for you. And then same thing with the Sonos app. You can start from the Sonos app and then have the Amazon lady stop the music for you, or you can start something via AirPlay and then stop or skip it in the Sonos app. It's, it's kind of neat that you can sort of just bounce around without really having to think about it. You reminded me of two other um, things I jotted down about like big quality of life improvements that that's kind of smart about this. One is, I forgot one of the other ones. Hold on. So the, so not the one I was thinking of, but um, when you do speaker groups as part of AirPlay 2, which is, which is actually pretty pretty easy to do and pretty nice, one thing, and this is not a Sonos thing, but it's an iOS thing that's actually very nice, is that it does, um, I don't know how you'd phrase it, but proportional volume adjustment, where let's say you have like one speaker louder than the other it will not just increase like every speaker by 10 or 20%, depending on how much you click the um, the volume buttons on the phone. It'll actually do it as like a proportional percentage of what the original volume was, which I think is really, really smart if you have things tuned the way you want it to. Mm-hmm. And then what was the other one? Um, oh, dang it, I forgot. It'll It'll come to me, but... Anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's cool. Um, oh, that was the other thing. I don't know if I talked about it last week, but do you ever you do you ever touch the Sonos speakers themselves, or is it always by voice? Very rarely. It's usually by voice. The one thing that I would say is nice about them, just because uh, in the kitchen and the one at my desk, like they're all they're within arm's reach, 
it is very nice that you can't they have like a very simple but also very functional touchpad on the top of them and usually like i i absolutely hate touch buttons because they don't work very well but on this one if i just want to one you can adjust the volume even if there's an airplay group going on a single speaker and it doesn't affect the volume of everything else which i think is fantastic and also if you wanted to pause rewind a podcast or skip a track you can do that very easily with like a gesture based control on top of the speakers and it's not it's not like a gimmicky or annoying thing it actually works really well yeah i i actually didn't know about that until you mentioned it last week that is pretty neat oh i i, I am doing a revisionist history on myself but yeah no that's that's that's, that's very good so overall like i mean uh, these speakers are still so I got some of them at regular price because I didn't know they were going to be on sale at Cyber Monday or whatever. But apparently the Sonos ones are still $40 off and you can get them like same day on Amazon. So I mean, if people don't have them, go go buy a One SL and get started and try it and see if you like it. For $139, it's, it's, it's a, at $200 a piece, it's kind of a tough sell. But for below $150, I think it's it's worth a shot if you do kind of want something more than just kind of just like a, a a dinky bluetooth speaker you take around with you yeah they've um they've been really aggressive with the the beam and the sonos one that seems to be really what they're what they're pushing you can you can find those in stock most places and they're they're both at a pretty good discount and they're they're both you know solid products yeah i toyed with the idea of grabbing a sonos 5 but it's it's just too big because apparently that's the one that sounds really really good if you don't want mm. a soundbar type thing, but yeah. Yeah. All right. What? Let's go back to the dock. Okay. Um, uh, we're never going to get to it. So do you want to uh, knock out this lost carryover real fast? <laughs> the, the gaming. We're never going to talk stuff? about these. Yeah. Let's what's, what's the deal? Cause I, I was at target yesterday and apparently for, for public safety, they're not allowing anybody to buy a PS five in store. So why why are there riots for PS5s and or I didn't know game consoles had launched. So what's what's just in 90 seconds or less what's the deal with this? I guess the the only thing I'll I'll really spend the 90 seconds on is that this is just a continuing trend that I'm amazed by and have been super wrong about even on this show I think how I totally bought into the idea that the future of gaming was like mobile and like um, these kind of like simple web-based games and, and this and that. And it's totally not like consoles are just like more popular than they've ever been. They're coming out with more regularity now. So like, you know, the previous generation had kind of the half step consoles with the xbox one going to the xbox one x and the playstation 4 going to the playstation 4 pro and now we've got the you know the the full next generation of consoles with the ps5 and the xbox series x it's um it's just amazing the the staying power that consoles have had and yeah as as seen with your your target experience like these things are, are super hard to find because they're super popular can i ask you a question is this and this will get kind of to the the Warner Media topic, which will probably be the bulk of the show. Do you think this is pandemic related, or do you think just overall we and many others have just underestimated how much people like traditional gaming? Very much the latter. I mm. I think if anything, the pandemic maybe has 
depressed demand for these consoles compared to what they otherwise would be so? for a couple of for a couple of reasons. So one is that the whole like in-store kind of midnight release type thing with these consoles is actually like a big thing and you know for for very good reasons you know sony and microsoft and and kudos to them for doing this they've decided to work with their retail partners to only offer the consoles online which is which is super smart but i think as much as many of us prefer to buy things online there is still a pretty good chunk of people who who do like that thrill of going into a store especially for something new like this and and physically picking it up but the the bigger impact actually i think is that um the pandemic has had a pretty significant impact on game development i mean it's very common for games to get delayed even during normal times but during the pandemic i mean game developers have had a really hard time keeping games um on their kind of original release schedule again for for very like understandable reasons and you know that includes things like there was supposed to be a new halo game out on the on the xbox console day one and that game's delayed until i think sometime next year um so you know there just there isn't really a lot of compelling games out for either of these platforms and that's that's due in part from from the pandemic i mean to be fair new consoles like the the knock against them is always that they don't really have great software from day one and that it takes a little bit of time for that stuff to ramp up but i think that's particularly pronounced with these given some some covid related delays on games that were supposed to be out on day one so going back to the first point about kind of like the the midnight drops and the release like now that games are almost all like it's like i don't think there's any games that only come out on disc right like don't the game console makers prefer that you like just download a 40 gig game that way they don't have to give retailers any money yeah it it might even be mandated now i think sony and microsoft might require you to also offer your game digitally if you want to be on either of their platforms so i guess at that point other than just the the um logistics of getting a console i don't necessarily see how that point holds up but i mean i it, it, i mean it makes sense but like when the pandemic originally hit, hit like what weren't nintendo switches like impossible to find because people were looking to like for like escapism and they wanted to like tend to their farm or whatever stardew valley is about yeah but that, that that's not quite the same thing though because that that's a console that had been out for quite a while there's always there's always hype around new consoles um but i think this time around you know the, the thrill of those of those in-store experiences and a lack of games i think have made it so that these consoles are you know maybe even a little less in demand than they otherwise would be i mean it's some of this is a moot point cuz both consoles are super super supply constrained so and that would be true you know with or without covid so um, I mean, in a lot of ways, these consoles are selling at the same numbers that they probably otherwise would have. Got it. All right. Well, that amounts to all the gaming we'll talk about for the next year. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you do not have any interest in buying either. You know, Carlos, not not to get too um deep on you here, but um. <laughs> 
this is by far and away been like the most removed I've been from a new console Good. release. Good. Don't question that. Um, You're aging out of it. Just keep going. <laughs> I don't remember if we were doing this show this far back, but when the last generation of consoles came out, you know, I, I pre-ordered both an Xbox One and a PlayStation 4 and got both on day one. I, you know, was th- that's how I how plugged into that stuff I was. I, uh, you know, I guess I was, like because you don't strike me as because like I I don't play I don't play or like video games, but I was more of a Sony like like well back like because again like I had a very middle class up, upbringing. We got a original NES like four years after the SNES had come out. So like we 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 are not a gamer family. But I've been more in like the Sony camp, even though I don't care about games and haven't actually owned a console since the, I think maybe I had a Wii and I had a PS2 like in middle school or something. But anyway, like I've been more of a Sony person, but like you've always struck me as like a Microsoft person. I don't think you have any, like, I don't think you have any affinity to like Gran Turismo or anything like that. Like, aren't you like a Halo person? Like why, why, I guess, why would you have bought both? What appeals to you about the Sony platform, I guess? Sony has a handful of games that I that I really like that are Sony exclusive. So that was that was a big reason that I got a PlayStation 4. But the other thing is that, you know, consoles are just from like a pure technology slash gadget standpoint, they're just really cool. Like they're really, really neat pieces of hardware. And so, you know, owning both and then also being able to kind of compare the two is interesting um but but those the those days are behind me um and i'm i like actually couldn't have even told you the the release dates of of either of these consoles i I think they both came out sometime in november but Mm -hmm. um yeah that's about all i got so anyway it's it's uh this console generation has been kind of a sign that i've have moved uh moved past that point in my life good uh but i do have it on good authority that there is a an oculus quest under your tree <laughs> no <laughs> requires a facebook account all right um yeah let's keep going okay m1 reviews eh, meh. the apparently the the m1 max are very good cool I mean, again, like I'm much more interested and we probably won't get into it this week, but the conversation of how the, cause I don't think we talked about this, the M1 of how it scales to like, cause I, I'm, I'm going to be very, very excited when I can get the equivalent of an, I'm like a very high end iMac or an iMac pro running on Apple Silicon based processors and kind of how I can have like a, an awesome Lightroom machine. Like I do ultimately want a laptop with better battery life and maybe less fan noise and stuff like that but the the current constraints of the m1 don't really speak to me so the the idea of how an m1x or whatever the evolution of that is for more demanding workloads that's that's the interesting part to me but i guess in terms of the reviews of the initial machines pretty much everybody is saying that hey rosetta is pretty pretty great and there's kind of no no downsides here unless you need more than like 16 gigs of ram and in general like these aren't really the machines where people were buying them with like 32 or 64 gigs anyway so i mean overall i mean yeah seems good i don't think there's a whole lot else to add no and i 
you know, not to pick on ATP here, but that was another thing with, I don't know if it was this, this most recent episode or the episode before that, when they were talking about scaling up the M1, I, I felt like they were, they were just overthinking it. Mm-hmm. Like really the question, like we, we kind of have probably have a pretty good understanding of like how they're going to scale up just the, the performance of the CPU itself. It's going to be more and faster performance cores. Like I, I don't think there's much more to it than that. And then the the, the, the affordances with having a, like mach- those going into machines that have already been designed with more robust cooling systems allows you to get a, a, around the problems of like the throttling that a fanless air design has or something. Exactly. Um, I think really the the question around how Apple's going to scale up their Apple Silicon stuff isn't really that complicated. I think it comes down to basically one question, which is, are they going to offer separate memory and GPU modules? Like that, that's kind of the only question in my mind. I mean, the, the one pushback I would give you is that I believe with whatever, like with what they call like unified memory architecture, where the RAM actually lives on the chip itself. Like I think that if you think of that as being a constraint or in like a very tied into the design of the processor, that kind of leaves a lot of room to kind of discuss, to think of how they would expand that out. Because I don't think it's one of those things where, well, you just slap an M1 on like a motherboard and you just, you just throw in some extra RAM. I think like a lot of the um, benefits that you get with that type of unified architecture are that that's kind of baked into it. So I do think it's not a trivial thing to to adjust for but i do think it's not i do I, th- I do think it's reasonable to think of how it could be scaled up and like so yeah I, I do agree with your point where they were overthinking it a little bit but also i mean once you think of like edge case applications where like i mean i've got 64 gigs of ram in the simac and i know people who or i know i know use cases where people have like 256 gigs of ram in a mac pro like you have to kind of if apple has said that they are back in the game with kind of edge case computing applications where that's why they designed the Mac Pro to have like those MPX modules and you can make it be whatever you need it to be. And that's why we make this like super scalable, super expensive computer. Then as the move to Apple Silicon based processors happens, like that's like, I mean, I, I think it is a valid question, but um for like mid-range applications, I do think it's maybe less of a an urgent question. Yeah, I, I, it is. It is going to be really exciting to see what Apple does because, I mean, the M1 stuff is incredibly impressive. It's it's way more compelling than I ever would have guessed it would have been, and that seems to be kind of the the general consensus. I mean, the fact that these machines are as fast or faster for many, many different things compared to like even really high-end iMac configurations is is pretty cool. So to see to see where it goes from here is exciting. Yeah. And then hand in hand with that, because I, I don't think there's a whole lot to add with this part is 
Uh, there, I mean, actually, so there's a German scoop and there's a, uh, a Ming Chi Kuo thing. So the first one is that uh, in early to mid 2021, can't come soon enough for many, many reasons. Um, Ming Chi Kuo says that there will be two new laptops, uh, both of which use mini LED technology, um, and that's likely going to be the 14 inch MacBook Pro that's been rumored for a long time. And then what was the other one? Oh, uh, a, like a scaled down MacBook Air, which I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like the 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 nine ninety nine M one MacBook Air is actually, other than the fact that it's only eight gigs of RAM, actually seems pretty, pretty darn good. But yes, yeah, so apparently the fourteen inch MacBook Pro, which for me will be kind of an instant buy, uh, once that happens, um, if it supports thirty two gigs of RAM at least. But yeah, I mean that that seems seems interesting. So do you, do you have any concerns with Lightroom because specifically it seems like Lightroom Classic which is what you and I use is Adobe going to bring that over natively to Apple Silicon I believe so because the thing is even though they call it Classic I don't think that means it's end of life just because and and I'm not saying that I'm a professional photographer I am absolutely not but I don't think anybody who um likes photography a lot or is really into it i don't think anybody uses lightroom proper or like the new lightroom so i don't like that's the one thing when they did i think this was in the wwdc introduction they like the one of the demos that um his name's saruji who's the chip guy uh, saruji yeah 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 he was doing a thing where he was showing like some like demo like with seagulls of and it was it was like hey here's a, a like a, a test version that um adobe's been working working with us on and this is this is lightroom and of course it was the new lightroom but like lightroom classic is not end of life just because everybody who relies on that tool from adobe for like uh processing raw photos nobody's using the new one so i do think that that is coming to be uh that that will be a um like uh what do you call it apple silicon native app so I, I don't worry about that. And apparently the performance inside Rosetta is actually pretty solid. I don't know how Lightroom itself works just because, at least on the iMac, it uh, it is a um, a GPU accelerated app. So I don't know if that would actually actually perform better on an M1 because it does have those, um, uh, like, what is it, four or eight um, GPU cores? Well, it's 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 seven or eight, depending on whether you get the the bend one or not. Oh, so you get eight pro. Oh, no, you get, so you get four high for high performance processing cores for efficient. Uh, God, I love it. it's like Efficiency Studio, the one of the best ones in real estate. Um, efficiency CPU cores for low for low intensity tasks, and then you get okay seven or eight. Okay, but yeah, so like, but, but yeah, to your point, I mean, and, and that's actually something I think about a lot. I don't think Lightroom Classic is ever going. Sorry, ever. That's that's a very strong word. I don't think in the near future it's going to be going away um, at all. So I do think that it will make the the native Apple Silicon transition. Silicon transition. But yeah. So anyway, so this new Max that's to be cool. And then there's also been, and this kind of goes to our um, discussion of how they will scale up the the M1. Uh, you'll throw a link in the show notes. Mark Gurman yesterday had a good. Um, I read like a bit of a scoop talking about how they would basically just kind of multiply out the M1 where there might actually be, I think this is um, 
So a quote from the article, for higher-end desktop computers planned for later in 2021, a new half-size Mac Pro is, pl- is planned for launch by 2022. Apple is testing a chip design with as many as 32 high-performance cores. So basically, I mean, it's, it's just they will just kind of multiply the processor out and just kind of use the affordances of a, a larger thermal envelope to allow it to just do more. That's neat. Yeah, and that actually it was the German stuff that kind of prompted this idea that maybe ATP was overthinking it a little bit. Well, yeah, because if, if you have like, because that's the thing, if you think about, um, like if you ever look at like an iFixit teardown of like an iMac, like one, they can of course like make it thinner, they can do things, but like if you have all that room, like the fact that you're saving so much on the motherboard or as, as Apple calls it, a logic board, like you you have room to just make like a big ass processor and and you can have maybe a better cooling system on like there 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 is room to grow on it where yeah like i mean think about like when they showed the um the 12 inch like when they made the super like the introduction of the the horrible butterfly keyboard in that bad regime they showed like kind of like here's what we demanded of intel to make a computer this small and they've got like this tiny motherboard that takes like maybe like one eighth the surface area of like the the bottom half of like the laptop clam uh, laptop clam shell and like if you just think about like now you have a system on a chip there like you can you can scale that up since you don't have all that superfluous stuff that you had previously so i, I like i don't know anything about this but i i assume it's fine mm-hmm. all right do you want to talk about the real topic or do you want to talk about airpods max <laughs> <laughs> Let's, Basically, do you, do you want to do you want to start arguing now, or do you want to talk about AirPods Max and, and the little the little? So I think the the main topic is is going to go on for a little bit. So and I I feel like we have to at least acknowledge the AirPods Max. So let let's do that first. Go ahead and tee it up. Uh, wow. So or I'll do, I'll do it. It's okay. No, I mean I'll 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 do it. So it, it it's almost like this is. An onion article. Um, that was like my first impression when I saw the headline and read through the details. I don't know if you felt that way, but so, so I I had a late morning <laughs> the day that these got introduced. So I think I think I woke up to turn on the espresso machine. I grabbed my phone, looked at the headlines, and I saw a couple of Slack notifications. And then you'd post it. I'm like, oh, okay, they finally made the over-the-air headphones. And then I just dismissed the notification. I forgot what I posted in Slack. But then, like, once my day got going, I saw the price. And then I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, it, so, it's, so, so, yeah, it, what, what's up? The, the Yeah, so so this is Apple's long-rumored over-the-air headphones. Um, there's, there's just, there's so much to pick apart here. Um, and, and the reason I kind of, say that it's almost like this is something out of an onion article is that i think they they look really strange um eh, they uh, there's a lot of dumb looking headphones like i think bang and olufsen make some headphones that look not that dissimilar from this where they look they look like somebody went to a design within reach store and then took away all the wrong design lessons like they're let me send you a link to the um let me get me back in the DMs. Nope, I don't want to invite somebody to this workspace. Okay. The Bayo Play H95. They actually look a lot like this. And I, I guess maybe that's the perspective I would give you is that 
people are buying very expensive headphones. So I, I think I actually might have some kind of Nate Silverish contrarian views on the price here, but well, just just because there are a lot of other ugly headphones out there doesn't mean you should also make an ugly pair of headphones. Well, if everybody else is jumping off a cliff, why shouldn't you? If everybody else is jumping off a service revenue, why shouldn't you make your own TV studio? Yeah, I, I guess. Um, um, but then the other things that are just kind of unbelievable about this. So, I mean, the the price. So five forty nine, which is really a lot. Um, is it? I think so because, like, with the you know, my only experience with over the year headphones over the years has been the Bose Quiet Quiet Comfort series, and I think those are really really good. And those I think fall more into kind of like the two fifty range. No, if those, I remember those correctly. are three fifty. The three fifty, okay, but that's you know, still a big difference from five forty nine. Um. But then the icing on the cake is that they <laughs> charge via lightning, which is just for a for a five hundred and fifty dollar pair of headphones is is kind of unbelievable. Um, but I guess you know the, the Onion um, article kind of comparison aside, my other main takeaway from this was that. To me, it kind of feels like Apple's making all the same mistakes with the AirPods Max that they did with the HomePod, where it just seems like it's way too expensive and way over-engineered. Hmm. That's a good comparison I hadn't thought of. And, I, you know, just like the HomePod, I'm sure there's some, you know, Apple fanatic or audiophile small part of the market that is super into this stuff but like when i think of the airpods line like the first thing i immediately think of is that just like what a mass appeal they have and for good reason i mean it's 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 they're tremendous and i don't know this 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 feels like it's going the total opposite direction where it's only going to be something that a very very limited number of people would be interested in like this is not, you know, if you're looking just for like an everyday pair of headphones and if you prefer over the ear headphones, this is probably not what you're looking for because this is this is really at the high end of that market. Hmm. Okay. So let me give my take. So these I I I don't I don't hate the price because I I'm trying to get to the point where and and Jason still makes this this point on upgrade a lot, and and I I always dislike it when he brings it up because I I do think it's kind of not necessarily I think it's dismissing a lot of nuance in, in arguments or opinions people might have, where he's like not every product has to be for you, but I do I do kind of think that that point sticks here. The thing that's interesting here is that the use of AirPods for this product feels wrong, mm-hmm. where. Because, and this is the thing, and also, apparently this is going to be follow-out for, like, all, all the other podcasts I've listened to. So on, uh, people should go to subscribe to Dithering. On today or yesterday's episode of Dithering, they brought up the point of, uh, that it's kind of interesting that these now make AirPods Pro seem cheap. But also that it's shocking that the original AirPods that came out, like, three years ago, still cost $159. And those would be a product that it seems very simple to make $99. It's kind of like an entry point 
especially since they don't include the headphones in the box anymore of new iPhones. So anyway, but so I think the use of AirPods here is dumb because it one AirPods means earbuds. Like, I just feel like there's so much brand equity in that and using and diluting the brand or using that as the like a marketing name just with a suffix on it for really expensive and kind of not impractical but like but very niche headphones is probably not great and i think that does a disservice to airpods which is a product that i was originally pretty resistant to but now actually i think is is pretty vital and is actually a product that apple kind of knocked out of the park so i think airpods doesn't make sense here like I, I wasn't the name like wasn't weren't the rumors about like head pods or headphones or like there was something that would have made more sense. Mm-hmm. And I and I kind of get because like, pe- like people do often forget that Apple owns Beats and Beats has made um they've had the the Beats Solo forever they've also had the Beats Studio which were their competitors to the QC 35s that was their Bluetooth uh, ANC noise cancellation headphones and I think those were either three fifty or three ninety nine. So like it kind of makes sense that this would maybe fall under the the beats category or at the very least sound like call them something else. Like I, I like I'm totally on board with like Apple can make whatever the fuck they want and they can make super expensive stuff because I mean this is this is mixing categories, but I mean I am much more happy and comfortable with Apple making overpriced shit if it's if they're if they're I if they're realizing and internalizing themselves that we're a company that makes expensive hardware. And that's how we make our money and that's how we please our customers versus Apple trying to make money in new avenues by making a television network and charging people for too little iCloud space. Like making exp- uh, headphones that are too expensive, is he feels like much more intellectually honest than trying to uh, to force Apple News Plus and all those other pursuits down people's throat. But I mean, so yeah, AirPod, AirPods as the branding name doesn't make, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The pricing whatever like these these aren't for me i i've always thought of like i mean i have i used to have the qc 25s from bose and um i currently have the sony i forget they don't have a good name but it's like the wh 1000s or something like there it's the good headphones from sony and they sound great and those i think were 299 or 350 and i've always thought of those as being kind of like a spendy splurge thing i've always thought that was like actually kind of really expensive for headphones so five fifty, like when when you sent that thing on Slack, and then I saw the price, I'm like, that's insane. But I mean, it is what it is. Like, it there's money to be made there, and if they sound great, that's good. But I do think. So one other thing on price is that this is more of like a semiotics debate than anything else. But have you ever like you know like there's certain products where you only buy it to show people that you have money to spend on something useless. Hmm. I feel like, because that's the thing about Apple stuff, where Apple is a brand that has just such, even if you're not an Apple person, I think you know how, what, like, I think most people who are in tune to, like, electronics and just things like that and have, like, a general awareness of it, like, you know how much things cost, so, like, I feel like half of this is just somebody's buying these because they want people to know that they're somebody who can afford to spend $550 plus tax on kind of ugly headphones. So I think that's a lot of it. So I don't I don't really have like a a concrete thought there, but this it's by buying these and wearing these you're showing that you're somebody who can spend 
in California, $610 on headphones that have no water resistance, for some reason have a digital crown that got ripped off an Apple Watch and are for some reason on headphones. Like, you're saying a lot with that on its own. It's the same way that people have had semiotics debates about kind of what does rose gold. And actually, I think this actually fits more with the 12 Pro Max these days of what a super tacky, very, very um, ostentatious um, gold finish on the 12 Pro looks like. So anyway, so yes, I don't like the AirPods Pro Max name. Again, it involves one, a dilution of AirPods and also Max, like just... Max is the is the product suffix that needs to die, and I and I feel like they're doubling down on it, which I don't get why. And they're ugly, and I don't like the price. But I mean, it, it is whatever. Like I I don't fault them for the price. They can, they can sell whatever they want, and this this is much more intellectually honest than Apple News is. So I don't know. Be- better than Apple News raving endorsement. Well, not better than Apple News. No, no, I'm not even saying they're better. I'm saying it's more intellectually honest than Apple News. Because it's not like it, it. What would be more on brand for Apple would be if they somehow wanted to charge you take a thirty percent cut of all music listened to through the headphones. But if you're a small business, you can apply to get that reduced down to fifteen percent. Anyway, so you kind of um, you buried the lead a little bit there. Oh, uh, what's that? With the number one problem with the AirPods Max is similar to the iPhone 12. Apple's using the wrong color palette. Like, I mean, good good on them for offering different colors. Like, Apple needs to do way more of that across all of their products. But but they they pick really lame shades of these colors. Like they like I actually was like super excited when I saw there was a green version of these headphones, but the the green is so lame. It's like this pastel washed out color, which is the same for the blue and the pink version too. So you're right. And then actually, I think that goes for the iPhone, like honestly, the iPhone 12, like, because again, I'm not sure if you've actually seen it, but the red of the iPhone 12 is like, because and that's, this is cross, this is crossover fallout from ATP where the aluminum sides on the red look great, but the rest of it looks like coral. Yeah, I don't love the colors, but also now that I, I just looked down at the chair I'm sitting in, these headphones are a knockoff of of the Herman Miller chair I have. They look exactly. Wow, they really are. It's and even the marketing images, like I, I, I they stole this design because it's got like a very kind of like weird like meshy look and like I mean I like this chair, but wait this this chair is headphones. Is this the chair that you had like that weird shopping experience with? This is this is the one where I had to write to the to the regional manager of design yeah. within reach because some dude told me don't don't showroom my store. <laughs> and I didn't have the nerve to tell him the fuck off. Because <laughs> I just want to look at it and, and I was gonna buy it there, but then he, he's like, uh yeah, d- don't uh, don't go buy this online. It hurts like local retail stores. And it was Oh my god, that was people can go look at that episode from two years ago. Hmm. Uh, but wow, very, very astute observation from me. This, this, these, this headphones are these headphones are this chair. But the the difference with these chairs are that these are the, this is the right color palette. These are deep, rich colors, which is what this product and the iPhone twelve and all well, that of other is, Apple that actually is true be. because because I, I was comparing because if you have both pages up side by side, so if you look at the um like there's a video still like queued up on the Herman Miller site. 
if you scroll down a little bit down on the um airpods max page where there's the picture of the woman with um uh short hair and the black long sleeve shirt with the reddish pink thing like it looks very similar but actually the herman miller chair actually is a much nicer shade of red yeah the the, the Apple colors are super washed out, which is it's the same thing with the the, the eleven Pro where they did the green and the twelve Pro where they did the blue. Like it's not either of those colors, right? It's just kind of like this weird thing where it looks like it looks like a a, a blue or a green that somebody put like Saran wrap press and seal around. Yeah, it's there's. There's just there's a lot to there's a lot to dislike about this product. Yeah. Like again, like I, I I have no like I'm not I'm not complaining about the price. Like I mean, again, like people can look at the price of that chair. Like again, like if you if something is valuable to you, like I mean, spend what you want on it. Like that's that's totally cool. I'm not complaining that they're they're expensive, or that there should be a ceiling on the price of what Apple sells to their customers. But my my complaint is more that one they still charge by Lightning. What the fuck is up with that? But um, that I'm like that's just why. Like there, there's uh, the AirPods were a product they've actually done like surprisingly no wrong, where this kind of feels like an un, I don't know, feels like a, a like a swing and a miss. Mm-hmm. Because again, because you're putting that Apple brand behind it, so therefore you're kind of yeah. Overall, I think it's a net drag on. It's like signing a really expensive player to a team that who's not really contributing. That that's a drag against whatever team you and the audience like you know what i'm talking about uh is gianna still in the bucks or did he leave yeah he's still in the bucks okay but he, he something happened to him right or so um, he did something where he's been in the news and i haven't really paid attention he's he's eligible to sign this really crazy it's called the super max extension with the bucks <laughs> does that have anything to do with the airpods max it does not no they you could afford a lot of airpods max with it Mm, um three pairs but but he has he has not yet signed that so there's oh so speculation it's free agent speculation correct got it okay it's well it's it's pre-agent speculation wait is is that a thing or is that a joke pre pre-agency has become this this kind of running thing in the nba now because it's becoming more and more common for players to to demand to be traded, you know, well before their the contract is even up. Mm. Um, and there's also a financial incentive for teams to trade a player before their contract is up because if you let a player leave in free agency and you don't get anything back, that that has some some salary cap ramifications. Whereas if you trade them and, and get players back that's generally better for your your salary cap for for reasons that we don't need to get into here sure because i don't understand half that sentence that <laughs> paragraph all right um so the we'll wrap up with this and by wrap up i mean we're talking about this for 45 minutes um so warner brothers i don't know who owns what but i think all this stuff is owned by the by the death star by at&t uh, Warner Brothers, which makes the service, the over-the-top service, HBO Max, which is not the same as HBO or HBO Now, except maybe it is. So HBO Max uh, is AT&T's streaming effort that they've been trying to make happen, but has maybe not had as much traction as they've wanted to, especially in light of Disney+, Plus, which keeps just racking up record numbers of subscriptions. So they've been contending with kind of what do we do with 
the pandemic and how that affects all of the big expensive movies that we have made and what to do about that. So is his name Stanky? Wait, what's what's the dude's name? Oh, you're you're better at that stuff than me. I I, I didn't I didn't take any notes before this. Hold on. When does Stan Anyway, so the the person cuz there was a thing about medium Stanky. He's going to not bring up the right thing. Whatever. Okay. So apparently the person in charge of HBO Max was like, you know what, let's try to keep this under wraps and let's just kind of call all the stuff that we were going to release in 2020 and early 2021. Let's call it, let's basically just make it a marketing expense for HBO Max. And we're going to try to do deals in silence and get all the stuff that we were going to have theatrical releases for. Let's just use that as a way to promote HBO Max. So that manifests itself in the huge news that came out, I think, last Thursday or Friday, where Warner Brothers said that I think it's like 14 movies. uh, Oh, sorry, 17 movies, including The Matrix 4. Didn't know Mm -hmm. that was a thing. The Suicide Squad. I vaguely know what that is. And I thought that wasn't that like a box office flop two years ago. And Dune also don't know what that is, that those are going to be coming to the HBO Max streaming service the same day that they are released in theaters for one month. Um, And that is something that is actually pretty remarkable because we have uh, 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 careful tuned in listeners who have listened to the show for a while. We have talked about a lot about um, kind of what people are willing to pay and what is the value of same day or shortened release windows for people to be able to watch first run like theatrical release movies at home. And I think early in the pandemic, was it like something called trolls world tour or something was one of the first ones where like it was in theaters for like a month and, or like a couple of weeks in March. And they were like, no, fuck it. Let's just put it on streaming and try to charge people for it. Is that the one? Mm -hmm. Right. And then there was Hamilton, which was supposed to not be released until I think like the fall of 2021. And then Disney was like, you know what? Everybody's stuck at home. Let's just try to get more Disney Plus subs and go from there. So like people have been toying around with this idea. And actually the MoviePass, the service that was uh, allowing people to see unlimited movies for like $8.95 a month, that actually started as a thing for seeing like prestige movies and also trying to get like rapid release um like in-home movie efforts. So anyway, like Warner Brothers is all in on this or at least is making a big bet on cutting their losses on a lot of very expensive movies as a ploy to get people to sign up for HBO Max. And apparently a lot of people are stunned, shocked, upset, happy, there's a lot of feelings going about this. And I think this was one of the rare, I think you gave it seven rotating light emojis mm-hmm. when the news broke. So there's a couple of things I want, like I'll give you some time to talk. And then there's three directions I kind of want to take it, which is I want to, I want to, because I feel like this is the discussion that's been missing on a lot of other shows or something where I've been kind of like, just like yelling at my phone or just shaking my head when people have been talking about it. I want to kind of address it from like the streaming wars and just kind of how this fits into entertainment companies thinking that streaming is the future what it means like for like the movie industry and theatrical industry and then i want to talk about christopher nolan so let me know what's up and then we'll go from there i was thinking about just what 
a crazy set of circumstances have come together to to make this possible with like the two main things being you have this global pandemic which is you know either just shutting down theaters entirely or you kind of acting as a pretty big um um reason to not go to theaters even in places where they're they're technically open and then you've also got all of these big media companies over the past year to year and a half like literally at exactly the same time as this pandemic is happening who are launching these big streaming services which they all kind of see as like the future of their businesses and so you you combine these two things and it's just this this crazy situation where these media companies have sort of like all the incentive in the world to 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 give this this streaming thing a shot and it's it's just it's interesting to think about that way i think because like if only one of those things was happening i don't think we'd be in this situation like if if there was if there was just a global pandemic happening weird weird <laughs> but weird disney plus didn't say. exist yeah that might change but things. disney plus didn't exist then i don't then i don't i don't know what that means for movies and and conversely you know if 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 we were in you know our alternate universe without covid and you just had all these big streaming services come out i i certainly don't think this would have been warner's calendar 2021 strategy so it's it's just kind of remarkable that these two things have collided at exactly the same time to lead to this. And maybe maybe you'll you'll get into this a little bit with some of your stuff, but one thing that I am a little skeptical of is the staying power of this. Uh-huh. Um so like the 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 point that I've I think been bringing up pretty regularly on the show when we've when we've talked about the the future of movies and specifically theaters is in my head the biggest thing that would impact the future of movie theaters is, is basically like how long the pandemic went on for. And you know, I'm knocking on wood as I'm saying this, like it does seem like by the middle of 2021, we should be, God willing, making some pretty good progress out of the pandemic. So given that timeline, and, and this this might be a, a topic for a different show too, you know, the kind of the evergreen topic we wanted to get to about the future of work, et cetera, which is like, I feel like that's a timeline where there are going to be a lot of things that just kind of snap back to the way they were pre-pandemic. Like that would put us basically at like a year and a half of the pandemic, which is that's a long time, but is not a long enough period of time to like completely alter the way that people do a lot of different things, movies included. So even with this Warner news and given the current kind of timeline, I think we're looking at with the pandemic, I don't think it's an unreasonable take to say something to the effect of like, yeah, Warner, Disney, and all these guys are going to kind of try some crazy shit in 2021, but come 2022, 
you know, the next Star Wars movie, the next Marvel movie, the next Jurassic World movie, whatever, is coming out in theaters, like, just like they always did. Ding, ding, ding. Somebody's right. You win a prize. Um, so that, that's the, the now that could be wrong. And, no, and it's mostly and the, right. The, 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 the counter to that, I guess, would be once you've given people kind of a taste of this stuff, maybe they don't want to go back. Um, but for the wrong price. Well, but that's, so the, the thing, the thing about, um, the thing, the thing, the thing that's maybe missing from a lot of the conversation, and again, maybe this, I don't mean to step on maybe what you're about to get into, but I think a lot of the conversation and, and upgrade included, and I actually thought upgrade covered this well, but I thought the one part that they did sort of gloss over a little bit is the economics. Uh-huh. That's, but that's all of it. Which, yeah, which like, I mean, the the economics of releasing, you know, $200 million blockbuster movies exclusively on a streaming service, they just, they don't work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, the math doesn't, you know, the debits don't equal the credits, Carlos, to to put it in some accounting oh, speak man. for you. Okay. There's a video I have to send you about that, but anyway. Okay. <laughs> so, sorry, continue. No, that, that's that's kind of the thought. So I, I think I think be I, I guess because of because of there being a light at the end of the tunnel potentially with a pandemic and and because I mean you know if if we if we were sitting here with like no positive vaccine news and it kind of seemed like we were already going to have to start writing off all of 2021, like maybe that becomes a well, I mean that becomes a different conversation for way more important reasons than movie theaters, but but you kind of get my point. Like I think I think that would that would change that dynamics here a bit. Um but I think given that there is hopefully kind of an end in sight within a reasonable amount of time and given that the economics of movies are just going to be hard to change, mm-hmm. I'm I'm skeptical of the staying power of this change. So let me, so perfect. So yeah, so so we'll break it down to those three things because I don't have any notes other than the fact that I just want to make sure we thought about it from those three different lenses. But I guess what is your 15 second, like what what was your initial response to the news? Do you think this, this is crazy? Do you think this is the smartest move that they had for the hand that they were dealt? Do you think this is a good use of content and money towards achieving their end of getting more HBO max subscribers. Like what's, what's your, like just in a few sentences, like brief feeling on the move. I think this is super smart. I think it's being realistic about what the movie going and theater landscape in 2021 is going to be, but, and and they've even carefully framed it this way. This is a 2021 thing. This is not a forever thing. This is the kind of a temporary thing. And the reality too, and this is the last point I'll make here because I'm, I'm trying to keep it brief per your instructions, is the movie studios have all the power here. I mean, you know, the, the CEO of AMC and whoever can come out and, and be all ticked off and that's fine. But they have very... They have very little power here. If when Warner at the beginning beginning of 2022 says, all right, we're ready to start exclusively releasing movies in theaters again. I mean, like what are these movie theaters going to do? Boycott Warner? No, 
But like, the, but the streaming services have very little power. Okay, so well, all right, so so all right, the, I I think I, we got the gist. So that, that that makes sense. But um, yeah, this this is this is tricky. I I think this is not. I, I wouldn't say this is a good move. I think it's a gutsy and a hasty move, but I think it's very interesting. And I think it's the kind of like uh, to put it in football terms, a sport that I don't understand. Like it's a good hail mary for when you don't really have any other options, and the clock is winding down, and Bill Belichick is Bob Iger, and he's he's doing sketchy stuff on the side. So, if we think about this in terms of streaming services, so these movies, like, just give me give me a random number. How much do you think, on average, one of these movies cost to make? Hundred thousand, or sorry, hundred thousand, Jesus, hundred million dollars. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd say that that's probably about right. Okay, so that's one point seven billion dollars, right? You're, you're the attractor. Yeah. <laughs> so this is basically a one point seven billion dollar marketing campaign for a streaming service that costs fifteen dollars a month, except for the parts where AT and T wireless customers there's some weird bundling because of corporations and such. So I guess like when you have a slate of products that cost you a lot of money, but you now have a massively reduced base of customers who would possibly be willing to buy what you have to sell, you either like in economics, you have to reduce the price to match the reduced, the, the, the weakened demand, or you have to do something else with it and make it a different product entirely. So with that, like they're using this as just basically kind of the same thing with Hamilton. Like they were spending a lot of money on it and they, paid Lin-Manuel Miranda and all the cast members and all this kind of stuff, tons and tons of money. And they had hoped to have that movie in theaters for a very long time. And then also get like double dip on hoping that would increase Disney plus subs, but they found that that was not really going to work out. So they, they chose to kind of use Hamilton as a marketing expense, which I think was, was a good one. That's one of the only things I've ever watched on Disney plus, And I have since canceled my Disney plus subscription because I don't have any interest in anything else on the platform. So with this one, I think this makes a lot of sense because HBO Max, one, there's been confusing branding about it, and I feel like there hasn't been a coherent um, story about what's on it, other than the fact that HBO, like the network, seems to be churning out more TV shows. So I mean, like, I'm not sure that's necessarily like something that people are latching onto. And then there's also been other points where, and I don't have this in front of me, but I know I threw it in Slack where, um, like the number of people who have actually activated like their HBO max subscription, even though, oh, that's it. Um, so HBO max has reached 12.6 million activations and, uh, what is it? 36% of eligible people have signed up for it, even if they're already paying for it. Like that's just like a weird number. And HBO just hasn't gotten the traction that they wanted with it. And AT&T has had kind of this weird relationship with the creative side of things. And people are worried, hey, are you diluting the HBO brand and all that kind of stuff? But So this makes sense as the best way to kind of use that slate of movies that are just like it's, I mean, you're the accountant. Like they're just like a, a massively depreciating asset. Like you just can't like sit on these forever and then just hope like, Hey, everything goes back to normal in 2022 and let's just, let's release one summer blockbuster a month until we clear out the slate of stuff that's been sitting on our books since 2019. So 
it makes sense. But I guess like my my question or what I want to discuss is like for streaming, yes, this is a huge value add for this and it makes sense. But I guess like if you think about the broader discussion of should move big budget fancy movies be released on streaming immediately and kind of what should the cost be? That's the part of this that that seems so interesting. So with Mulan, wasn't it $30 on top of an active Disney Plus sub? Mm-hmm. Yep. So for all of these, you were going to be able to watch these movies next year for the standard $15 a month that HBO Max costs. And there is no, there's no extras. You just, you just get these. And as long as you watch them within a month of them being released, you can watch 17 movies that cost Warner Brothers $100 million or more to make. And you just get them, which seems smart like i guess do you think they should have taken the disney plus approach and charged for them separately or do you think that dilutes the point i think when when viewed through the lens of this being a massive marketing campaign for hbo max which which is a smart way to think about it i this that is the right way to go but when i saw this headline when it first came out my immediate assumption before reading any of the details was that this was going to be a Mulan situation where, yeah, you could watch these movies on you know day one of them being in theaters, but you'd have to pay to do that. Um, so I, I and I I had to read through like two or three articles to like really confirm that that was not the case because uh, I just it was I found that part kind of hard to believe. Um, but now in retrospect and and in light of like this conversation, I think it actually does make sense because. That method almost might have been worse in some ways because, like, it still would have like pissed off the movie theaters. Mm-hmm. It would have made this kind of less interesting to a lot of consumers. Well, because this this feels like a gift, sort of. It, yeah, well, a Tim Cook style gift. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. You got you got Ted Lasso, <laughs> um, and and some weird violent Jason Momoa show, um. Yeah, like, I mean, that's that's the thing where, like, this is kind of, like, it feels, I think even for a regular person, like, somebody who's a regular person, that sounds weird, like, a person who's not keyed into, like, media news and, and this type of thing, like, they probably think of, like, this movie that I was going to go, like, me like me and my my wife or whatever, like, or, like, all my fellow family, we were going to spend 50 bucks to go watch the new Wonder Woman movie and then spend a whole bunch of money on other stuff at the AMC if anything was actually open. And now, like, we just get to watch it. That's, like, I think almost everybody will respond to that because that's the one thing about a big movie studio like Warner Brothers where there's enough movies here where kind of something is going to apply to everybody. Like I I don't, I'm not a movie guy, so I don't know most of these things, but I feel like Space Jam applies to other people than Tom and Jerry, then does The Matrix, then does Suicide Squad, which I think is, is that a, is it called DC? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that that has enough to make this story relevant to almost every media consumer, which kind of makes this make sense, or at the very least, it makes it a worthwhile gamble. Like, that's the thing where I don't think anybody can actually say, is this a bold move? And again, with my, like, I I don't like AT&T, but like, I mean, I do kind of think that like, for a service that launched maybe... Well, is the, is the is the notion that HBO Max la- launched sooner than it had to, or later than it had to? Like, was the launch rushed, or is it overdue? Kind of sure. both. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I don't. Seriously, I, I, I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah but I don't think you can both. mark that on the Scantron. 
I mean, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it seems like a move for a service that they're like Disney. They don't have the same thing. Like, even though you have sure, like the Warner brothers catalog and you've got HBO and cartoon network and a handful of like random networks, like that's really tough to compete against the, the back catalog play that is Disney plus and Netflix is going to be the de facto. Like if you're only going to have one streaming service, like just with the amount of money and debt that Netflix is, is taking on to just keep churning out tons and tons of stuff, like that's going to be the number one streaming service that people are going to sign up for. So you're jockeying for position as to being the number two or number three in like the trio of streaming services that's going to be like the tolerance that the American and most global consumers are going to have in the developed world for how many streaming services they're willing to have. So like... I mean, for me, like, I mean, I sign up, for, I, I have Netflix, HBO, Max, sort of, maybe, I don't know, I don't know which one I'm signed up for, I think it was HBO now, um, and then I have Hulu through Spotify, and I don't sign up for Disney+, Plus. and then I have regular cable, so I think most people aren't going to sign up for that many things, and Warner Brothers is kind of, in AT&T, are in this spot where they need to figure out, how are we in this kind of nascent period where the streaming wars are kind of still in this, like, fungible state, like what, how are we going to be one of the top three? And I think like, if you have like all this stuff sitting on your books, like you have to think of, is this a worthwhile gamble? And I think it is. I mean, I don't know. Well, I think, I think another thing that's maybe missing in this story is that it's not just Warner that's looking at 2021 and sort of writing movie theaters off. Like when you, so like I'll look at the universal as an example. And is that you know, owned by Comcast? Yes. Okay. Um, their big release for next year was going to be the new Jurassic World movie that was supposed to come out in June of next year. Mm -hmm. What was their solution? Not to put it on Peacock, but to just literally delay it a year. It's now coming out in June, 2022. And that's what Disney's already done with avatar that was supposed to come out in december of next year that's now coming out in december of the following year who owns james bond because i've heard that's been delayed twice already that is sony or something? um sony yeah i think that's right um so the other studios have been a little more cagey about what they're going to do i mean warner obviously through this announcement being being a bit more transparent about their entire 2021 lineup but what the other studios have kind of hinted at and i think we're actually going to learn a lot more from disney they've got this big investor presentation tomorrow um has been that a lot of them are just kind of just delaying a lot of stuff out of 2021 which kind of is the same thing to a movie theater right like whether you release your movie on your streaming service or you just don't release it at all i mean the theater is kind of left <laughs> hanging out to dry in either case. Well, at so least I, Warner Brothers is going to now make new movies and not just basically be like, hey, we're going to just take a buy year and just hope that everything gets back to normal. Yeah. So I think pinning all the blame on Warner here is a little strange because all of the studio, like nobody is looking at 2021 as being a great movie theater year. Like nobody's looking at it that <laughs> way. It's just, it's just even in, you know, really optimistic vaccine rollout scenarios where, you know, by the middle of next year, a very large number of people have a vaccine. Like, 
I mean, I, I can tell you've like in, in from my perspective, like going to a movie theater is not the first thing I'm going to do. Um, and I, I would presume a lot of people feel that way. I mean, not to, not to put words in your mouth, but I, I would think you'd feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, especially being people who I think are an increasingly number of pe uh, people who going to movies wasn't something they were doing a ton of pre pandemic. So so yeah, I don't know. I think I think Warner Warner in some ways is kind of the 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 fall guy here in a way, just because their announcement was maybe the the splashiest. Well, and also but... I think it's more they're more desperate. Like I, I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it, but they have more to lose or more to gain. Like they're they're in, it's like in sports teams, like where or I don't know what the I, like I can't think of a good analogy, but kind of like where you're not in the position where you have a whole lot to lose but you have a lot to gain where like you're just you're in a state where like fuck it why not so i think that is kind of where disney maybe has more um ability to be <clears throat> more principled or or more strategic where they kind of just have to figure out what they're going to do they, they they keep letting the streaming service that they have just kind of trudge along and not really have a whole because like none of the stuff that they have made like they've had a couple of hbo max original series that haven't gained any traction the only stuff that people have actually cared about on that service have been stuff that was like succession stuff that was already in the hbo pipeline nothing about hbo max has really stuck to it so like just why not one well, i think i mean maybe the other part of this warner story too or just maybe a different way of kind of saying what i was saying before is I mean, what, what are people's and movie theaters expectations are for the other major studios? Like, do they think they're going to come out in a month and be like, oh, yeah, we're just we're going to have our normal 2021 20, lineup as is all movie theater exclusives like like it, like how it was, you know, in 2019 and earlier. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not like I, I guess I'm not really sure what the alternative is. Yeah, because that's that's the thing where kind of and again. Gavin Newsom is a very problematic figure now because again, French laundry, but like he's the, the, I go back to the thing where he talked about kind of like how lockdowns and shutdowns would be more of a dinner, not a dimmer, not a dinner switch, a dimmer switch, not a, um, an on or off type thing, but like, it's not going to be like, Hey, we get to a certain level of vaccinations and all of a sudden everybody's like, fuck yeah, let's just, let's do everything the exact same way that we were. And we're not going to pretend that we weren't scarred by nine to 18 months of not being able to be within six feet of other people like it did it, the it's not going to go back to 100 percent of what it was once we get like 50 percent vaccinations rates so that like the movie studios and content creators who like it's not it, this isn't a discussion about movie theaters it's a discussion about the content creators and the people who are making those hundred million dollar bets to make this type of content and you can't gamble that much on hoping everything else is normal by june 2021 yeah i mean i think i think warner's announcement is unique in that it's it's kind of the first and it's it's a blanket statement it's their entire 2021 lineup whereas again like all the other studios so far have been, they've been doing it on a movie by movie basis exactly they've been a little more cagey in general and even when they have given concrete information it's been yeah movie by movie and again just to like reiterate this point like nobody nobody's made an announcement that's like we're moving forward with our 2021 lineup as is and and nobody has announced a major blockbuster film that's for sure coming out next year like 
movie studios in general are either not answering the question, or if they are, the answer more often than not has been, hey, it's coming out in 2022. So I'm not really sure how what Warner's doing here is, is worse than that. Yeah. Okay. So to, to move this along, so like, I guess my, my question of here, and this, and this is not... I mean, people can listen to upgrade, but like I, I found the discussion on that one lacking a little bit because I felt like, yeah, like you said, like the economics weren't really there. So I guess my my point here is that one, this is this is a one and done type situation. This is not going to be the new normal, no matter what happens, even if this is wildly successful and all of a sudden just HBO is just gangbusters. There's so, so many new subscriptions because of this. Like it's if you think about how much money, even if this is a wildly successful plan, how much money this loses compared to everything being normal and also like a really aggressive um, and optimistic uh, like reintroduction of theaters and normalcy in American and Western life. Like it's, it's not really gonna make up for the money that they were. It's, it's not gonna make up for normal times. But I guess my question of like, people are talking about like, Oh yeah, well, so this is, this is, this is um, what's the, what's the, what's the analogy? Like it, this is like, um, ripping off the band-aid or, or opening up Pandora's box on um yeah, those are very different analogies. Uh on a direct to home first run movies. Like that ever nothing's ever gonna be the same and movie theaters are dead and everybody hates movie theaters, which is the gist of what I got out of the upgrade discussion, which cool. That doesn't that doesn't necessarily answer the question of the economics of all this. Either movies have to get way cheaper than they are, or we have fewer movies, or people pay way more. Like it, 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 we're not going to live in a reality where you're going to get hundred hundred million dollar movies, like one every two months, coming to a service that people pay fifteen dollars a month for, when they could have just made a TV show for far less money and it would have been the same thing. So I guess my question for you is kind of, well, we've already established that you feel that this is not going to be the new normal, but kind of where do you think that same day? or much more shortened release windows factor into the new future based on people being less willing and probably less excited to go to the movie theater than they were before. And kind of like just how, how does that fit with the economics of it? Because this, as we've discussed, like Warner, it's kind of a desperation gamble move where like, if this is going to work and you are somebody who somehow thinks that, well, everybody has awesome home theaters and you just need to make, you need to meet customers where they are and make these movies available on streaming. Well, then either the streaming services have to become a hell of a lot more expensive or we need to make movies way cheaper. And of course it's going to end up being a balance of that, but I guess I don't see where customers are ever going to be willing to pay close to the cost of creating the content, including a healthy profit margin to make this up. Like I, I guess my, like in the economic equation for this, I don't see the movie theaters as the only ones losing on this. It has to be something where customers are willing to have more Mulan type situations where they're willing to pay $30 or $50 a movie to see this stuff much sooner if they don't want to go into a theaters, uh, go into a theater. But otherwise we're making basically TV movies that where celebrities aren't getting paid for these leading roles and like, I don't know, like, I, I guess I want, like, a, your framework on what the economics of this look like and what the sliding scale is. Well, my, my frame, framework is is Uber, actually. So fo what? follow me here. What? Okay. So 
Uber came in and basically broke the economics of the taxi industry, right? Mm -hmm. And what they've done through that process is they've given people this super false impression about what a driving service really costs because you've you've got all this venture capital and now public money basically, you know, subsidizing the cost of that service. And that's left us in a situation where there's huge unanswered questions about how the economics of that industry are going to to shake out. And I I think that's going to be kind of the position that movies are going to be in over the next number of years. Like, I, I think the direction that like 2022 and beyond will head to answer another one of your questions is probably things like shorter theatrical exclusivity windows where, you know, maybe big blockbuster movies are in theaters for, I don't know, 30 days, 45 days. And then they come to streaming services where you can do a Mulan thing where you can pay 30 bucks to see them. And then after another 30 days, you can rent them for five ninety nine or whatever. But, but the math there isn't going to add up to allowing studios to make 200 to $300 million blockbuster movies. And so you're going to be left with sort of this equation that doesn't balance basically with the economics and, you know, for a while, studios like to, you know, continue my Uber analogy here, like studios for a while might be okay kind of eating the cost and subsidizing some of the cost of those movies as a way of kind of pumping up their streaming services. But like eventually that bill becomes due and that that's not a sustainable model in the long run. And so, so some things are going to have to change, just like I think things around, you know, Uber's type services are going to have to change at some point. But, you know, we haven't reached that day of reckoning yet there. And it, I think it'll be a while before we reach it with movie theaters. But but something's going to have to to give. But I think it's going to be a while f- um, for that to shake out. That makes a lot of sense. And actually, to go to go back to the first part that you mentioned where the Uber example, how long have you been sitting on that? Because that's, that's actually a really, a really good one. Because I actually, that, that, does that make Netflix the Uber of streaming video? Yeah, kind of. Well, because that's the thing where even though like on a balance sheet, like it looks like Netflix is kind of making money, but most of that is because they're just piling on so much debt and amortizing the cost of the content over multiple years. So they're spending so much money, way more than they're actually taking in on content. And even though they have been slowly kind of like doing the boil the frog thing where they are gradually ramping up prices, like people have just come to expect that there's just there's always new stuff on Netflix. Like there I I've heard of like four different new shows. Like there was something called The Mank. What, what do you know what that was? Mm-mm. There was some movie that everybody on Twitter like 3 days ago was talking about and then I googled it and it said Netflix. And then there's something called The Queen's Gambit. Yeah, people are excited about that one. And something called The Crown, which has something to do with Princess Diana. And like, there've been all these things where it's like Netflix is spending so much money on all these TV shows and people just take it as a given that like, Hey, they're just, this, this $14 is giving me a lot of money or, or it's giving me a lot of content in exchange for it. But that's just that Netflix is kind of doing the whole like V not, it's not VC, but they're, they're doing the whole, like you're spending somebody else's money shell game that Uber does where consumers are getting a taste for what they think something should cost and what they get in exchange for it. 
but Netflix is not charging market rate for what they're actually spending on content and what you should um, get out of the deal. So I think that is actually a really interesting analogy here. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing where, I mean, like, yeah, I think, I think we're both right where it's basically we either need cheaper movies or people need to be willing to spend more. And there's going to be kind of that negotiation where you meet in the middle of, so, okay, there's theatrical releases for a 45 day exclusivity window on that. And then you you charge somebody 10 or $15 to watch that movie after that point. And then after six months or whenever it would have come out on Blu-ray or whatever, then it joins the streaming catalog and it's figuring out what that's going to be. But I guess my complaint of when people are talking about this is that they're like, okay, we hate going to the movie theater. Let's watch it at home. But they're not expecting, they're not explaining how the economics of that actually work and how much the customer is actually going to be on the hook for to pay for that experience. So I think maybe as a way of, of rounding out the conversation and kind of putting a, a stake in the ground, making a prediction for the path forward here. Mine is like, I guess, kind of boring in middle of the road in a lot of ways. But but coming back to a point you've been making, I think is is a bit of a a nuance that's been missed in a lot of these conversations. I think the safest bet would be that twenty twenty one is going to be just a weird kind of one off year where the studios are going to try. Lots and lots of different things, some of which may stick a little bit, but a lot of which will be sort of one-off experiments, just given the unprecedented situation we're in. Mm -hmm. 2022 rolls around, you know, things are gradually getting more and more back to normal. And I think that puts us in a place which will last for some number of years beyond that, where movie theaters largely come back you know movies come out exclusively in theaters for some period of time like we said a minute ago i think that window probably shortens call it 30 45 days um then movies come to a streaming service where you can you can pay a premium to see them relatively shortly after the they had originally come out in theaters and then after some more period of time passes you can you know, rent the movie for the five ninety nine or whatever that we've become accustomed to on iTunes, and then maybe eventually it just becomes part of a of a of a streaming service. But I think what where we'll be left with that is a situation where there isn't as much revenue being generated by movies as there was, you know, pre twenty twenty, and and that's going to for some period of time shrink the budgets of movies. But then I think over the longer term, studios and movie theaters will find ways to kind of adapt to that shorter theater exclusive window. I think there'll be a, an emphasis on more premium theater experiences, giving people reasons to want to go see a movie in theaters. I think there'll also be really big efforts getting people more used to the idea of paying $20, $30, whatever it is, maybe more, to, to see movies at home relatively shortly after they come out in theaters and, you know, continuing to ramp up their subscriber base bases on their streaming services. And you you combine all that stuff, again, over the longer run, and then maybe you kind of inch your way back up to being able to support these two to $300 million blockbusters, but all that stuff is going to 
it's going to take a lot of time and it, it's it's going to have to sort of dip a bit before it can come back. Can I real quickly, can I bring up an example that I'm sure other people smarter than me have thought of, but I just thought of, I think this kind of feels like kind of, you know, remember like, uh, the music industry in the heyday of the nineties when you, everything was a $17 album and they were just making these insane record contracts and you could just do whatever you want and everything was great. And then Napster and streaming piracy first and then a few years later, streaming services kind of upended all that. I think that is kind of like a parallel that actually makes sense here, where that's going to shake out a lot of the middle, maybe, where you're going to have content that is cheaper to create that kind of fills in the gaps. And there will still be those prestige artists and prestige movies that will exist. And there will be some type of market equilibrium that allows you to kind of figure out where that shakes out. But I mean, you are right where after a really weird year, and they experiment a little bit, there's going to be some happy or unhappy medium where they figure out kind of what people are willing to pay and what still allows them to make the movies that end up being kind of like those just expensive, lasting, like cultural touchstones that I guess Jurassic 4 is. I don't know. I don't like movies. Well, and I think the other thing that might, that I think it's a fair bet over the medium to long term is that Big blockbusters are still the thing that you can get people to go see in theaters and and therefore also kind of support bigger budgets for. So, you know, your your Jurassic World and your um, Star Wars and, and whatnot, like that stuff still comes out in theaters and, and you get people excited enough to see it as early as possible. I mean, like literally, like that's kind of how... Like I was pre-pandemic. Like I think literally over the calendar years of 2017, 18, and 19, I'm not sure I saw any other movie in theaters besides Star Wars movie. I like literally that might have been it. Um and then, you know, maybe these, you know, kind of medium budget or like indie type films, maybe more of those do start to go direct to consumer where you know you can pay thirty dollars on day one to stream it at home and then that price kind of ramps down over time or something like that um i think you'll see stuff like that too but i think you know i i think it'd be it'd be very surprising if theaters ever go back to the same volume oh sure that they had pre-pandemic that and and that that i think was going to be true even in a covid free world it probably would have happened over a much longer well, yeah because there was because there was period gonna be, of time there's gonna be that like slow winnowing out and shaking out of people who wanted that boutique arc light or alamo draft house experience and people who wanted the mass market thing and a lot of people kind of were thinking that home theaters were good enough and that they weren't really looking to spend 14 dollars at the amc for a mediocre experience so like no that 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 absolutely is true and then to, to round it out, and we're, we're going to wrap up on this. Uh, so Christopher Nolan is the third tenant on this. I've never seen any of his movies. Wait, did you did you just make a did you just make a pun, or did you not even know you did that? I don't remember anything I say two seconds after I say it, so I don't know what you're talking about. Because Tenant was the name of his most recent movie. What I said. Oh, anyway, anyway I'll listen back to it. Except I probably won't. <laughs> 
You said you said Christopher Nolan's the third the third tenant of your point. Here. Oh, nice, good job. <laughs> yeah, good job. Um, so yeah, I've never seen any of his movies, and I feel like through all this, he's come out as being like the most annoying schmucky guy in the world. Where like he he first he complained it like just in terms of like Hollywood and the pandemic, he's just he he seems like the. He's been the worst. He's been he's, the worst. He's been, and he's been like the worst. He, he's, he made his whole fussy thing about my movie Tenant. Now, now I remember is so, so amazing. And it must be seen on the big screen. And how dare you think of releasing it directly to this or doing a limited scale release? How, how dare you? I'm British. I am, uh, I am going to impress upon you this. Like join, like the pandemic has like messed up and upended so many people's lives, both professionally and personally. So like join the fucking club, Chris. Like I, it, we don't need him to then go and talk about, uh, so the quote in the Hollywood Reporter uh, from Nolan, some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio in the world and woke up to find they were working for the worst streaming service. So like, bro, like, no, I, I I'm sure a lot of people like all of his movies, but I can't think of a, le- a like, do, do people who like movies find him a sympathetic figure or does everybody else find him insufferable? You know, he's he's got a little bit of uh Is he is he kinda like a who's who's the guy who made Avatar? Is he is he a little bit of a James Cameron? Yeah. Yeah. But like just bro, like like the world's going through a lot. Nobody gives a shit about your movie. I don't know, man. Like it's just get over it. And don't work with Warner Brothers anymore. Like it 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 is what it is. I'm sorry, like people aren't enjoying your art the way you want it to be enjoyed because everything's fucked well, up. And another analogy to him would be like a Steven Spielberg who's just Oh, the guy is is he the one who doesn't want Netflix in the Oscars? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Get out of here. Like that that kind of mentality is just it's it's stupid. Um and that's so I, I think maybe maybe this is the final point. I don't know. This is a good conversation. Um the 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 music analogy is is super smart, right? And I think movie studios and, and really actually movie theaters more so sort of like can kind of basically ask themselves the question of whether they, they want to go down the same path that the the music industry did and basically just try to resist change at every turn. And as a result of that, really kind of extended the period of time where the music industry was kind of lost and eventually has kind of found its way back. Are you but, saying Christopher Nolan is Metallica? <laughs> kind of. Like, like, or, you know, are, are they going to embrace this and, and find ways to kind of get to what I was describing, which is like you accept that things aren't going to ever be 2019 again. And you start embracing things like shorter exclusivity windows, more flexible at-home streaming prices, maybe some revenue sharing involved there. I just getting getting creative in a way that embraces the change instead of trying to resist it. I think is is ultimately going to get movie studios and movie theaters to that point that I was describing. I don't know six seven years from now, where like both parties have kind of acclimated to to this kind of hybrid model between theaters and streaming services and can can support having bigger budget movies again or are they just going to continue to bicker and and prolong the process of figuring all that out yeah well said it's gonna be a weird decade 
<laughs> for a lot of reasons. All right, chef specials. Oh, geez. All right. Yeah, so I've I've got, I guess, kind of an appropriate one. I actually didn't <laughs> intend for it to land this way, but um, it's another Apple TV Plus show for you, Carlos, actually. Hmm. For all mankind. Mm, okay. I, f- I forget, did, did you ever, is this season two, or did you never finish watching season one? So here's the thing. We, so season two is coming out in February. It was it was supposed to have already been out, but was was delayed, you know, pandemic and such. Um, and so the the lady friend and I, we had started watching it earlier this year. Um, we started watching it like when we were both on parental leave. So it was kind of a hectic time, let's say, at home. So probably not the best time to start. A, a tv show that's like a full hour long that you've got to be really kind of focused in on um but also it, so it's a 10 episode season but it's almost like it's two seasons in a way where the first five episodes are kind of their own thing and are really kind of just set up like and i, I hate when people like i hate when people recommend i hate when people do what i'm about to do which is they recommend a show and let's say stick with it and you're going to not like the first half of it. Exactly. <laughs> the first, I mean, the first five episodes are not bad. They're just, they're sl- they're a little slow and it, it's, it's all kind of set up. Um, and I, ironically, we just coincidentally stopped watching the show or kind of took a break from it after those first five episodes. Um, but we've been kind of trying to go back and like, Clean, you know kind of clean up and finish shows that we had started but hadn't finished and so this show came up in the queue <laughs> and it's funny because like the first episode we watched i, th- I think was episode six was j- was just tremendous like really exciting like almost like a totally different show and we, we like afterwards were like this show hasn't always been like that right and then, like no no like it it just kind of totally changed like, there's something that happens that kind of like kicks the show in gear basically and then that that becomes kind of the main thing for the rest of the season mm-hmm. and it's it's really exciting and it, it's really well done it like everything else on apple tv plus super high production value um but the thing that i think you'd appreciate about it is that it's it's not very it's not super science fictiony like i mean sure it's a show about like space but like it's space it's not good. It's, 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 it's fantasy in space. It's bad. Yeah. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not any of that. It's, it's grounded in reality and it's a very like people driven show with some really good characters. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a show you'd like a lot. Am I able Um, to just jump right to episode six or am I going to miss a lot? No, no, no. You, 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 you'd have to go back and watch it. The first five episodes are not bad. They're just, they're slower than the second half. But the the other reason I kind of recommend it now is that you know season two is 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 coming out in a matter of weeks here, so you don't if you watch it now you don't have to do the thing where you're like oh shit what happened in season one <laughs> and like you know but I mean honestly Apple should just cancel every other show and just focus all the money and resources on Ted Lasso season two and a Ted Lasso Christmas special man when they when they talked about the fact that they don't sell um. AFC Richmond jerseys mm-hmm. on upgrade. I just I was thinking like, man, what a missed opportunity that is. I'd mm-hmm. buy one. Yeah, or or include it with the AirPods Pro or the AirPods Max. 
with the little with the little purse they come with. All right. Um, anyway, so and and the one thing I will say about the slow start thing is, and again, I've I've been trying to force you to watch uh, Succession, but that is a show where the first three episodes are a little little rough, um, but a, a very rewarding good show. So again, put that on the list. Not 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 housemate friendly, but it's it's a good show. Is that is that an HBO show? It's on HBO Max along with all these seventeen other movies. It's an HBO show, and it's a really it's a really good show. We're kind of, so. We're kind of in a weird situation with anything that's on HBO Max because, you know, we've been kind of splitting our time between the OLED TV and the family room, which, you know, that's got an Apple TV connected. So, Oh, do they not have a deal with Roku or is that the deal? They've, in that Peter Kafka interview that was really good talking about the, the Warner stuff, it was heavily hinted that the Roku stuff seems like it's getting close. So I'm, I'm hopeful it like to the point where it sounds like they're trying to work out a deal before that Wonder when Wonder Woman movie comes out on Christmas. I still resent or uh, or just, uh, philosophically opposed to the fact that there has to be deals struck to just allow somebody to watch video on a road like that. That I, yeah. yeah, I I know. Yeah, double double poop emoji on that. I'm a little hesitant to start watching a show that we can only watch on one TV. In yeah, but Succession's not uh, you have it on in the background kind of show. Not that it's like a super, like you have to hang on every word, but it's, it's not a in the background show. It's not a guy's grocery games or a chopped at all. Succession is not chopped. Put that on the label. <laughs> okay. All right. And then, um, yeah. Okay. So for Chef Special, I, I got nothing. I, I'm going to tell people, like, again, before they go off sale, again, Sonos is not very good. Like I mean, the sound quality is not very good, but the for one thirty nine, go if you don't already have one, go go buy a Sonos One SL and then stick it in the kitchen, and you will have a very nice podcast speaker while you're making coffee. I I'm I'm pretty happy with the way this turned out. 